welcome to Respect Life Radio. You're listening to the second part of a two-part interview on socialism with Dr. David Devil, editor of Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture. You know, that three mistakes Catholics make, kind of confusing inequality with poverty. I really like that section. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, think in a kind of socialist way about our economy, and they think that there is a fixed pie of stuff that's just sort of sitting out there, and I've got to get my share, and we've got to make sure everybody else gets their share. But if you think of an economy as elastic, I mean, we, you know, think about the fact that, you know, we create value when we're doing things. That means that, that what we want is a dynamic economy in which people can create value, and, and wealth can be created as well as destroyed. And the reality is is that as that pie grows larger, what you're going to do is you're going to have more stuff that's going to be available to people. I think many Catholics and even, you know, many Catholic thinkers over the last, you know, half century particularly, I mean, I mentioned the uh, Economic Justice for All, the 1986 Bishop Conference document, and it's not all bad, but I think that it emphasizes this as well. It starts to talk about, well, if this guy has a lot more than I do, then that's a huge problem. Now, in the abstract, I think that that's true, and I think that you know vast inequalities do have certain repercussions you know in the political realm. but the reality is is that what we really need for people to have is enough to live on and the The great miracle of the last you know the last century is that for most of the world, you know developing market economies have allowed them to actually enter that circle of exchange, as John Paul said. And so we have, at this point in history, the sort of the smallest percentage of people in the world living in dire poverty. That, to me, is a much more important question than if somebody else has more stuff than I do. Um, you know, again, there are political questions when you have vast inequalities. But, but economically speaking, I think we often are deceived into thinking in a, in a way that's really more along the, the deadly sin of envy, of thinking... You know, if right. these people have more than I do, and I think that that's 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 a part of human nature that we actually need need to fight, and we need to think much more about how it is we get again how we get these people who have to share with those who do not, and to to provide opportunities for those uh, who do not, uh, and also I think that we need to to think about focusing on the poorest of the poor and not not worrying about the fact that. Somebody else has a nicer car than I do. Well, in a free market system, too, it can be a great motivator, right, in inequality to say, hey, I, I can achieve and get to that level as opposed to just feeling sorry for me, right? That could be something that helps motivate us to say, hey, I'm going to work hard so that I can earn more money for my family and do better. That's correct. I mean, we talk about envy as a deadly sin, but, it, you know, it's kind of like lust, <laughs> Right. right. It, you know, there's a there's a proper there's a proper desire that you can have for sexual union that's fulfilled in a particular situation. Right. There's a proper desire to better yourself with the goal of providing for your family and friends and for the common good uh that doesn't lead to envy. How do you know when it's envy? Well, when you when you, when you notice that you treat people badly and when you notice that you're 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 tempted to do unjust things in order to to right the score. Um, and so I think that, that that desire to better oneself is actually something that's part of nature. I mean, you know, if you think about our Lord's parables, many of them 
depend upon the idea that it's quite natural to want a return on your investment. The master who leaves and gives his three servants, right. mm-hmm. you know, ten talents, five talents, and and one talent, right? The whole point of it is, you know, this is this is my wealth. I want you to invest it, <laughs> do it, do it well. Um, you know, what what's the presupposition there that that you can invest things? And you can gain a return on this. If you know, if that were completely wrong, it wouldn't make sense as a parable for the kingdom. Right, and it's an inequality part of our lives anyway. Some people are more athletic; they can't give me part of their athleticism, and all of a sudden now we're equal. Right. I mean, you, we could just play into every part of our lives if that's our mindset. That's right. I mean, I, you know, we, you know, I'd like people to redistribute their good looks to me, or you know, something like that. I mean, I, I think I'd be I'd be in line ahead of you twice, probably. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you know, one one economist talks about this, I believe, uh, Thomas Sowell talks about this as sort of, you know, there are, there are cosmic aspects of inequality that, you know, we just can't write all of those things. And perhaps it's not even, it's not even very wise to think about trying to write all of these uh, aspects of inequality because they would actually, they, they actually make us uh, human in a way. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis has this remarkable, some remarkable lines in his Space Trilogy, the third volume, where he talks where in the story, you know, they're talking about this sort of quasi, you know, paradisal uh, community, and it seemed much more egalitarian than anything that the characters had ever uh, encountered, but it also seemed much more hierarchical and unequal, and I think that that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, an absolutely equal society is one without differences, but what do differences do? Well, they make us unequal in certain ways, but that itself is not a bad thing that that helps us to understand you know the the marvel of creation that you know the saint paul's image of the body of christ uh is of course a body and he says that there are less you know sort of mm-hmm. less uh, uh attractive and less seemingly important parts oftentimes they play the most important part and i think we need to we need to think about that well, when we get married, right? A lot of times we marry people whose our weaknesses may be their strengths, right? We're, right? we're not looking for people who are exactly the same, almost like robots. Right. I mean, in 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 a, in a really good functioning society and economy, other people meet our needs. The goal is, you know, you'll meet some sort of uh, radical Catholic thinkers of the distributist model who follow Chesterton and Bellock. Um, you know, most most of them do not go this way, but you'll you'll find a small minority who seem to think that the goal is that, you know, every family is this sort of uh, self-contained unit that is farming and you know doing computer software and things like that. And of course, <laughs> the reality is is that you know, you know, as with uh, the question of any of these great thinkers, sometimes their their uh, followers are not quite as sharp as they are. They're you know they're more Calvinist than Calvin or more Chestertonian than Chesterton. You know, Chesterton and Bellick, even in their sorts of ideas about distributism, had the idea that there would still be a division of labor, that it's it's good to let people who have one particular gift do this and meet the needs of others. And some some gifts are going to going to allow you to make a lot more money and to mm-hmm. to be more powerful. And that you know, that's not something that we want to discourage, that's something that we wanna we wanna channel into good and, and encourage people that you have been given much. Now you need to give give much back in the way of providing economic opportunity for others and providing economic resources for those who don't have who you know, who don't have the opportunity to enter into this. 
Yeah, and you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think we we blow that way out of proportion, and that's where you start getting the class warfare that we talked about earlier. Right, right. I I don't I don't think that we want. I don't think we want warfare. I mean, I think you know the problem <laughs> no. is uh, you know one twentieth century uh, you know thinker. I think it was Robert Nisbet said that uh, said that you know a lot of the you know, a lot of the changes in the world are simply caused by boredom. <laughs> you know, people right. people think, well, you know, this is kind of boring. It's not exciting. We need a fight to to fight. Right. We'll I, figure. We'll spice it up. <laughs> yeah, we'll spice it up. We, they, you know, they want to always have a, a kind of a war to be fighting. And I think, well, you know, in terms of real wars, they come often enough. We don't need to encourage them. But I understand the impulse because we do have a fight. But, it, again, it's a spiritual fight that we need to, to be engaged in rather than rather than stirring up class warfare and and trying to make sure that people start to really feel envy or or hatred i i understand that many people say look i'm just interested in justice and i'm interested you know in the poor and i think well okay then let's let's think about good ways of actually helping them and it's a lot right. more difficult than i think people think i mean i have a a fellow in uh you know in in the the area who uh is fairly well off, and one of the things that he engages in is he purchases um, apartment buildings, and then he tries to make them for low-income people. And and you know he's talked about how difficult it was at first because he thought that the the uh, idea of mercy meant that he had to kind of let people you know go, and they said they couldn't meet their rent because they had these good excuses. And he realized that after a while, that true love really was actually you know helping these people and holding them to the agreements that they'd made um we can we can try to be more merciful than god quite often right and, and right that's that's a real problem um you know not that these people need to starve or something like that but but to really help is is a much more difficult thing than simply giving them material things and i think that's that's one of the big problems in socialism is that it since it discounts our spiritual nature as do many sort of you know market people but when it discounts the spiritual nature, then you really don't understand how to help people, and then they become simply road, you know, roadblocks in your way to your perfect, perfect society. They become eggs that need to be cracked, yep. uh, you know, omelet or no omelet. Well, yeah, and your second point in this article, I really like, and we kind of talked about it before, but the grabbing government remedies, you know, it's almost, you know, we almost forget you mentioned Catholic social teaching, which kind of gets hijacked. Yeah, uh, because they they pick and choose what they like. But you know, here here's subsidiarity, right? Why why does the government have to do everything? Why are we running to them every time there's a problem? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We often, you know, a lot of people treat subsidiarity as a kind of I don't know a right wing <laughs> plot or something. But 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 it really, you know, it's really true that most people are really happy when the solutions that are available to them. Uh, have been formulated by people who are around them. Now, it can breed, you know, it can breed uh, dissatisfaction, and there can be problems with it. But we all realize that that at the smaller levels, right, those are where solutions are quite often made. Solzhenitsyn, when he lived in the United States in Vermont, he was very impressed with how many in many of these small towns actually made solutions for themselves. Um, I, I think rather than, you know. You know, I think many Catholics think, well, but, you know, things are so bad, we need to go for these larger solutions. And I think what they do is they actually disengage people from from their local politics. And, you know, one of the things that our local uh, Minnesota Catholic Conference has been doing is to try to get people to think again much more on a local and state level. 
um, because in the United States system, it's supposed to be a federalist system in which, you know, the states are kind of laboratories. And, you know, there is a kind of active notion of the good of subsidiarity. Right. And I think we need to, we need to, you know, if there's a sort of a political question, you know, in here, I think it's the question of how do we empower people at the local and the state level to sort of solve their own problems and actually try to do things for themselves. What a novel concept. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we, we're constantly, part of it is that people are, you know, motivated quite often by the desire to get funding, particularly from federal agencies and things like that. And And I think, you know, this is one of the things that a number of bishops have, you know, have detached their Catholic charities and other organizations, uh, you know, from government funding because mm-hmm. they realize that the strings attached quite often uh, you know, don't allow them to really do the the things that they want to do in the way that they want to do them, and they're ultimately, you know, it's it's this rule that the one who pays the piper calls the tune, and right. And I think more Catholics are realizing that, you know, it's fine to seek outside funding, but we, you know, we can't have that funding at any cost, especially if it's going to be the cost of having them call the tune for what we're going to do. Yeah, and like what we say here is, you know, not every dollar is a good dollar. Right. No. Everybody thinks, wow, there's money out there. Go get it. Well, just as you said, they all have strings. And when you take money, then you're adhering to the string puller. Yeah. Sometimes we just need to have, you know, we need to have faith that, look, if this is really a good thing, that this is what God wants, and this is going to work. If we actually follow through on that mission, there's going to be God's going to provide for that. And we, you know, we can't simply say, well, you know, why don't we go back to the to the Egyptians or the Babylonians? <laughs> you know, they they had a lot of stuff, and it's like, no, we need to we need to rely on God, and and if if we're faithful to what He wants us to do, right, He's going to provide for for the means for us to to do this task. Well, He's not going to be outdone in generosity, but we tend to forget that way too often. Right, right. I mean, if it's if we're worried about the poor, we have to remember that they're his poor much more than they are our poor. And we were told they would always be with us, so let's let's right. be realistic too, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, and I think that's you know that's something that we've been kind of edging around. But I mean, the real problem with many of these socialist dreams is that while the while the Catholic Church really believes in in trying to get a good society and believes that that's possible. We certainly don't believe that we can create heaven on earth. And, you know, this sort of dream that, you know, everybody will have stuff and nobody will have to work and, and, you know, only those who really want to and will all be sort of sitting around, I don't know, writing poetry (laughs) or probably more likely making YouTube videos. That's that's just a kind of fantasy. And what what it usually breeds is instead of heaven on earth, it breeds a, a living hell. Exactly. Exactly. It does the exact opposite. Right. Um, so, you which, which article did you write first? Was it the three mistakes Catholics make, Kufler, uh, or was it the seven deadly sins? I think it was the seven deadly sins. I okay. Wrote first I can then, remember. And then I followed up with some, you know, what I thought were, you know, were temptations that people had towards socialism. You know, not not trying to call names of anybody who disagrees with me, but saying, look, there are some real worries. Again, Catholic social teaching has a great deal of flexibility. Uh, in terms of the political and economic arrangements in any given given locale, but but I think that there, are, but what Catholic social teaching does give us are these kind of guidelines that tell us, you know, you might be going too far in one direction, and so that's why I wrote the second one. Kind of like bumpers when you go bump a bowling. Right. Hey, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things, uh, those things are. I mean, you know, Chesterton in in Orthodoxy 
describes, he says, you know, a lot of people are upset by, you know, Christian morality, and they see it as this thing that's hemming them in. But he says, really, you know, that moral that moral teaching that's been handed down is really more like a uh, more like a, a big uh, garden wall, and we're all kids who are, you know, living on the edge of a cliff. And that garden mm-hmm. wall allows us to be safe. And those guidelines, I think, do help us to be safe and understand that when we're going for things, we cannot go, we cannot go too far in one direction. We cannot, we cannot see the ultimate goal as being uh, an unreal inequality. We can't under, uh, misunderstand that the idea that uh, you know, local solutions and solutions that are made at the right level are much better than simply throwing all of this authority and power onto a, a large central government, which is inevitably going to claim, you know, the power of the Lord. Um, so. Right. Well, and we see that, right? Anytime you're an extremist on any, any side, you're, you're, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. I mean, many, you know, we, we talked earlier about communists and Nazis, and many people talk about the communists on the left and the Nazis on the right. I'm not really sure those are good ways of thinking about it, but even if you take that, even if you take that as your idea, you'll notice that they ended up pretty much in the same place. <laughs> so, right, right. Uh, you know, so maybe it's more like a circle if that if that is the case. So, right. So we've basically seen they've, the 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 socialist model basically blast three of the Ten Commandments: <laughs> yeah. loving God, you know, uh, stealing because right we're going to steal from the rich and give to the poor, right. and then we're going to covet. Right, we want to covet people's yeah. stuff. Well, and I think, I mean, you know, we could, as you said, we could probably go through all of them. But again, I, all of the socialists, the utopian socialists of the smaller communities, but as well as Marx, also said that the, that the family and sort of bourgeois sexual morality is also a thing that's in the way of of mm-hmm. us, right? Because because the family, and particularly marriage, stands as that central institution against state power, and so. You know, I think it's always been the case that they have, uh, you know, socialist advocates have wanted to, to uh, we, you know, either cut away or whittle away at the edges of family and sexual morality too. And you get these sort of absurd articles. I think it was last year in the New York Times. I read some sort of piece about, you know, why sex was better in socialist countries. And you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, how on earth did you establish that? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see like to see how you came up with that plan. But 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 you know, if that's true, I mean what you're saying is that that sort of freewheeling sexual activity, any sex is good and because you are freed from need you can engage in sex without the worry of family and commitment. Well, that that again I think is probably less likely to to lead to the best sex life and more likely to lead to a kind of sexual hell. So, well, not only that, but now you know, you talked about family and marriage, right? They want to they want to dictate how you raise your kids. You know, what right. they can eat at school or you know, should we treat should we teach them the gender thing and not tell mom and dad because mom and dad aren't smart enough to be able to deal with this. Right. I mean, there is that idea and it's it's certainly prominent in in our culture now, and particularly among those who are on the left, who are sort of leaning towards socialism, you know, to talk about how well, you know, well, it takes a village to raise a family, or it, you know, you know, we need to to sort of protect kids from their parents, and you know, and I think, well, how on earth are you, you know, do you know my kids? I don't. Yeah. You know, how on earth do you know their needs from so far away? And generally speaking, it's as you said, it's to teach them a kind of 
uh, you know, a kind of new alternative catechism about sex and politics and economics. And it, it, it's really a difficult thing. I mean, I, you know, and I, I, I grew up in public schools. Uh, yeah, I did. I did as well. And, you know, at, at the time when you had a much more of a common culture, uh, you know, there were problems, but it wasn't in the way that, that we have now uh, where you, you really are. You, you really have to worry about, you know, sort of what catechism they're getting at the public schools. Oh, I mean, I see some of the stuff they're teaching. I mean, they yeah. got drag they got drag queens coming in for career day, and you're right, just like, right, oh my right. gosh, how how did we get to here from when you and I went to school? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think that's that's a, a good question. I mean, it's it's what I think has powered the large growth in of homeschooling. And I, we don't homeschool, but we had our kids in a, a public school, a very good. A very good in Minnesota charter schools are publicly funded, so they're technically mm-hmm. public schools. Mm-hmm. And it was very good until there were uh, there was a kind of charge by some parents uh, and then some some of the teachers to sort of make the place a bit more woke on these issues of of gender and the transgender issue. And w- really, it it led to a, a real real uh, decrease in the quality of the school. And it was it was it was very hurtful and very divisive. Too, and so we have our kids now in a very good Catholic school, and it's we're very grateful to that. Nothing's perfect, but it's right, exactly. Good to have your you know your kids with teachers who are not basically preaching a different religion. Yeah, trying to indoctrinate them into the yeah. the new the new society that they're they're trying to create. Yeah, so I mean, we see that. So basically, socialism it tries to destroy family, marriage, religion, steals mm-hmm. private property. Yeah. Yet, if we package it well enough, maybe people will buy it. Right. Right. And I think, like I said, I think ultimately it ends up, it ends up being a con job because the people in power always end up being about themselves. Simply because, and if you understand original sin, you'd understand why that is. <laughs> um, but, but you know, you you sell people on this idea that there are these sort of abstract ideas. Of you know of equality and that all we have to do is turn it over to the government and then we'll have this great system and you think well <laughs> okay but again it's a failure to understand the human person that leads you to be able to think that these sort of uh, you know well we we disagree with your your idea about the immaculate conception of Mary but we believe that you know the people who are you know running the government are immaculately conceived it's like. <laughs> I, I really don't know about that. I mean, yeah, talk about talking out of both sides of your mouth. Right. It's 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 a kind of confusion that would allow this idea. I mean, really, what you're going to want is always, you know, a steady acknowledgement of you know of being under God's law. And again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, some of my traditionalist friends have tried to tell me that, you know, the integral Catholic state is the only way to go about it. I'm fairly, I'm fairly uh, not confident that that is ultimately the best way or at least the the way that's most suited towards things but what you do have to have particularly in in a pluralist society is some notion of the natural law under which we stand and that that itself you know would be good but we're busy sort of killing the real natural law in search of this different natural law that's right because it'll make us much happier even though suicides are up and everything else is up and dissatisfaction divorce is up but keep going down this road because there there is a light at the end of the tunnel right i mean you know the what's the uh, george santayana line that those who those who never uh never uh 
you know, those who are uh, making insane decisions who never stop, you know, I mean, <laughs> I forget what the end of the line is, but you think that's what we're doing. I mean, we, we seem to keep going in the same way and expect, you know, different results. And that itself. Well, that's the definition of insanity, right? Yeah, that's the definition yeah. of insanity is, is to say that we're going to go down this road. And I think we understand, I mean, you know, the very frustrating thing about our culture is that I think, uh, many people who are in power know that they have to live in a certain way. Um, Charles Murray's 2012 book, Coming Apart, you know, detailed this really well. You have this sort of, you know, this divide between the haves and the have-nots. And, and, you know, again, I don't want class warfare, but, you know, his point in this book is the haves are often preaching uh, you know this this uh, catechism of do your own thing and be authentic to yourself and don't worry about these bourgeois moral codes and things like that. <laughs> but then when you look at what they do, they're all going to church on Sunday. They all you know get married before they have children. They all work well and have this work ethic, and they all you know, I mean right. And so you know that's the problem is that we preach a uh, you know something that we know doesn't work. Well, how do we know that? Well, because we're doing the opposite. Exactly, exactly. So you know we're down. I can't believe it's gone this fast. We're less than a couple minutes to go, but I did want to give you an opportunity to talk about logos and you know what is it and and why should people uh, look it up. Yeah, well, Logos is a quarterly journal. We're in our 22nd year, 23rd year now. Uh, so we come out uh, every three months, um, and we ha- usually have about 165 pages of smart intellectual articles uh, that are nevertheless usually o- open to really intelligent lay readers. Um, we, uh, we, you know, we prize articles that are interdisciplinary, looking not just at sort of technical theology or technical history, but those things that combine a number of different kinds of subjects, but all under the heading of of the Catholic doctrinal tradition as well as the Catholic intellectual tradition. So it's, uh, you know, for those who are familiar with something like maybe First Things, right? it's, it's more like those kinds of articles, but we have footnotes, <laughs> so you can look up the sources. Uh, you know, intellectual stuff that's open to other people. You can find us at stthomas.edu, that's S-T-T-H, don't spell out saint, stthomas.edu backslash logos, L-O-G-O-S. And uh, we're available in online subscriptions or uh, in print as well. And I think, you know, the great thing, too, is that we get articles from all over the world, and our readership is actually all over the world. We, you know, we can track these things and uh, we're present in over 80, 80 countries at this point, and many of our many of our authors are from uh, you know from Korea, from Japan, from China, uh, from Russia, from from Italy, Spain, various countries in Africa as well. So you get a kind of international view of things from a Catholic perspective. <laughs> 